0: Welcome to the Truth Exchange podcast, unique program where we have conversations about worldview all through the lens of oneism and twoism. This lens is based on Romans one twenty five. We've exchanged the truth of God for the lie, worship and serve creation rather than the Creator who is blessed forevermore. I'm your host, Joshua Gillo, and today I have a special guest with me, Emilio Ramos, who is the teaching pastor of Heritage Grace Community Church in Frisco, Texas. He's the founder of Red Grace Media, a media ministry that focuses on documentary films and theological content. Emilio is also the author of two books, Convert from Adam to Christ and Crucified, the Soul of the Gospel. Emilio Emilio can be found on YouTube with Red Grace Media, which is weekly shows on theology and apologetics. Brother, thanks for coming on to the podcast today.
1: Thank you for having me, Josh. It's good to be with you, brother.
0: I was just talking to you earlier before we started this whole podcast, and I was just saying that I've been devouring the content on your YouTube channel, which is excellent. You have almost uh, almost 200 episodes out there. and uh, you range from apologetics just to and, and tackling the worldview issues. You've got some stuff on Jordan Peterson, which I was really interested to look at. We had done something on him a few years ago. And uh, I think you nail it, brother. You really nail in on on some of the issues that at the, the problems that are there, and uh, and just the way that you 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 do the editing and, and the the narrative and the imagery is just really powerful and really beautiful. So I'm going to sure link up uh, link uh, in our footnotes. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, Emilio, you have um, you have done a lot of work in. Uh, what's happening in the Western culture, specifically on this issue of, of technology and how it's speaking to our culture. And Dr. Jones, we're going to be doing a symposium this fall, and Dr. Jones has framed the symposium with these questions, and he says, what are your pronouns? How do you identify? These current culture questions are a restatement of one of the oldest questions of the human race, who am I? Today's answers carry a beguiling temptation to define ourselves by looking within, whereas the older version implies that we should look outside ourselves, asking our Creator to tell us what we need to know. Whether in the church or the White House or at home or in our nation's schools, many in our culture, including Christians, are facing an identity crisis. And if we fall prey to the deceptive influences that tear us away from our ties to our Maker, Creator, and Savior— we are left impoverished and empty and in despair. We fall into a oneness confusion where all things are one and the same, and there are no real distinctions. So with this upcoming symposium, Stolen Identity and the Theft of the Binary and Contemporary Society, which reminds Christians that the only place we can safely ground our identity is in God and the binary truth of twoism. you have a talk that's going to be on the metaverse, personal identity and image of God. What is the metaverse? Now, I, I've done a bit of reading on it and, and watching videos, but I want you to, to, let's define some of those terms. What is the metaverse? Well, <clears throat> the metaverse
1: uh, was an announcement, actually, that was made by the company Facebook, which we all know. They changed their name to, uh, to Meta. And the reason for that, of course, is because of their launch of the Metaverse. And the Metaverse is a virtual reality platform. It's a social media platform, but the focus and the uh, the technology that they're using is virtual reality. And through virtual reality, they are purporting now to be able to offer people a platform where they can be whoever they want to be, they can do whatever they want to do. They can join with whoever they want to join up with, or, or they can be with whoever they want to be with. And uh, they can be anywhere that they want to be. It's a really interesting dynamic as we think about the image of God uh, ultimately. But, but it really is offering man sort of a completely different alternative identity to who you really are. And uh, it, is, it is a vast networking tool and I don't know if you've been watching, Joshua, and I don't know how much television you watch, but it, it, in here and there, as I'm watching television, I'm, I'm watching commercials where the metaverse is being uh, advertised. And what's, what's, what's interesting and what's happening right now uh, with the metaverse is that they are connecting the metaverse to all sorts of different aspects of your life in a very, very subliminal, but a very, very powerful way. And so, for example, there are commercials now that that begin sort of in a benign fashion, where a family is having fun together. Or they're playing games together, and they're using virtual
0: reality tools and things like that. And it is that the main is that the main use of the the, the metaverse is, is a virtual like reality thing. Yeah, the thing virtual reality
1: people- uh, goggles, the Oculus goggles, and then the 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 you know the joysticks that you use to work your way around and things like that. Um, the only place I've ever used virtual reality, reality goggles was at the Ark Encounter with Ken Ham. <laughs> uh, he has a he has now a virtual reality kind of like a, a simulation ride that you get in and you tour the Ark. is It's actually really fascinating, uh, but that's the only time I've ever put those things on. But but again, these commercials what they're showing us is that it's reimagining life. It's reorienting our lives. It's family time is now no longer spent uh, around the table, eating dinner with your family, let's say, or having personal contact, personal conversations and things like that. But now it's, it's entering a whole new world of, of imagination and possibilities with your children and everything else. And, uh, and then at the very end, they, they say, oh, you know, me- uh, welcome to Meta or whatever, you know, or they connect, it to, they connect it to your fitness or to your health and different aspects of people's lives so that what's, what's, um, what's happening is that they're preparing, in a sense, they're preparing us as a society to envision ourselves preferring virtual reality or even what we could call uh, augmented reality or alternative mm-hmm. reality that we will prefer that to actual physical reality, uh, which is, which is, which is kind of a conditioning tool as far as I'm concerned. And uh, there is some deep symbolism in, in the metaverse and what they're attempting to do there. If you watch the one hour uh, announcement of Mark Zuckerberg, where he announces the metaverse, I watched the entire thing. I, I didn't, I couldn't believe I was, I couldn't believe I actually made it through one hour of listening to Mark Zuckerberg, but, but <laughs> But I did it specifically to listen to the details and what they're what they're thinking and what they're announcing. And it's really fascinating the way that it was rolled out. Again, it was rolled out in the most benign way it could have been rolled out. Almost um, almost laughable, almost cartoonish. Uh, They made they made it seem as if we were all going to sit around and play bingo together, you know, Mm -hmm. in the metaverse. Or that it was going to be kind of a funny way to do business, uh, sit in sit in a uh, sit in a virtual uh, a cubicle, and and sort of uh, live out a avatar and these kinds of things. But if you looked at the if you looked at the promotional that they did, the avatars are actually quite cartoonish. Now, here's mm-hmm. just an interesting thing, and I don't know if this is useful, but um, I've actually seen the real avatars. That they're working on in different areas and the avatars are extremely realistic in other words they look they really look human-like and um and so what we were shown on the commercial and on television and and things if you go researching it you're really not going to get the real virtual reality avatar technology that's out there and let me tell you it is going to be breathtaking
0: Mm. Yeah, you know, I have I don't we don't watch a lot of television, but we so but we do have like a movie night and we don't have cable. We have Roku or whatever type of free internet streaming service. And there is I've noticed uh, an increase in commercials and usually in those commercials they have some sort of person using one of those type of goggles. And having some sort of experience. It's, it's so funny because I remember when some of the virtual reality came out that I was aware of was when I was a boy in the early 90s. And, and you would see it in movies from like The Matrix or even to uh, like Wally, where people are just connected and this is their life. Uh, and, and it's totally disconnected from reality. And I think, and I brought up Wally. And you think about the characters in that movie, they're obese, they don't do exercise, they don't engage with other people. Now, at the end of the movie, people get disconnected, and they kind of realize, oh, there's a world that we could take care of. I think about now, and stewardship, and I wonder, what do you see, do you see the church jumping into this, or onto this bandwagon? We've seen a certain rise in churches pull away from corporal public worship because of the whole covid thing and make use of online so don't go to church anymore you could take communion at home is the church do you see the church jumping onto this metaverse bandwagon to do the means of grace
1: oh yeah yeah matter of fact um uh somebody in my church just forwarded me a video with a large seeker sensitive church that's promoting uh the metaverse uh, platform as their mode of fellowship and as their mode of comu- uh, community and coming together, even though everyone smiles apart. And so definitely, obviously, uh, that's a big fear that when mainstream, m- mainstream and, and mainline churches start trying to take advantage of this platform, uh, because, you know, this ties into a much larger conversation of technology uh, and transhumanism. Uh, mm. that really that really can cannot be detached from the metaverse conversation because the metaverse is connected to the overall transhumanist movement and transhumanist agenda, which that might sound a bit conspiratorial. All I'm saying is just sort of could the you, Could
0: you walk us through movement. that? What is yeah. transhumanism?
1: <clears throat> yeah, transhumanism is the idea of using technology to augment human life, to enhance it, to advance it. Um, And and transhumanist technology can be anything from, you know, virtual reality uh, to putting on a smartwatch to having a smart house. Uh, You know, they have now apps and technology that with your phone, you can control your lighting, your air conditioning, your appliances. You can control uh, your, you know, your your alarm system. I mean, you can control everything. And uh, and that is a form of transhumanist technology. It has it has leveraged your humanity so that you can do things that you could not possibly do just in your native humanity. And wow. and it and it sounds great because who doesn't want to control their alarm system from church to make sure that your house is secure. But as we get deeper and deeper into this transhumanist vision, which goes all the way, transhumanism goes all the way to the technology that's now being used uh, all over the world, really in implantables, like in Sweden. Now uh, implantable microchips under the skin is a, is, is a happening thing. Uh, there's tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people in Europe that are now implanted with smart chips that allow them to do everything from open their smart homes to uh, access certain technologies that they have uh, to get into their place of, of employment uh, and, and, and to pay and to pay for their uh, to pay for their, their merchandise at a store, kind of the way that you, they have the the credit cards now that you tap and, uh, and you purchase your food. Well, they have that kind of technology. All that technology is coming. And as a matter of fact, one, uh, one uh, uh, person that's in the in this field said that there is absolutely nothing stopping implantables from taking over, and many futurists are saying that implantable technology is in fact the future of economics and the future of cultural access. It's just just really wild, um, wow. and uh, and that's happening now. But but again, you know, when we're thinking about the metaverse. And all these things, the, the, the greater and the larger transhumanist uh, issue, we have to remember, that's really what it is. It's, it's a complete and total integration in technology. <clears throat> I enjoy watching the Apple events. I don't know about you. Um, I'd like to see what the new iPhone is going to be like or whatnot. And there, and there was a time, I think, for the first several years where they, they were announcing a new gadget, a new tablet, or a, a bigger phone or something like that. But if you watch and listen very carefully now to what's going on on a platform as big as Apple, and of course, if it's on Apple, it's going to be on the competing platforms as well, you know, Google, Microsoft, and everything else. But now it's no longer about introducing really a new phone, but it's all about introducing a smarter phone, a more integrated phone. And to use maybe a more direct term, it's using a more intrusive form of technology now, where the, the, the technology is not so much amazing us by way of a new gadget, but what our gadgets can do. And, and they really, it really is about getting our technology to integrate into the fiber of every aspect of our lives, whether we like it or not. And the metaverse is just one of those aspects of, those, of that kind of technology where it's going to be ultra intrusive and immersive, total immersion. Into into this tech, and um, and that's why theologically um, we have to connect this to the image of God. But there are doctrinal issues in the image of God that folks are not connecting to this issue. And so I hope
0: to maybe we can talk about that. But I hope to do that, especially
1: in my lecture. So
0: to, let's yeah, let's shift there. Where what is why is the image of God significant or the anchor to where we need to have. This kind of discussion about transhumanism, the metaverse, the, the integration of technology everywhere. And I, I think you're, you're, when you say intrusive, you certainly see that. And everything I've, I've looked at the metaverse, you, the, the intrusive nature of that kind of technology, even down to monitoring and telling you when you should do certain things. And of course, with that is always coupled some sort of spirituality. And 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 meditation and practicing all kinds of Eastern mysticism in order to, to give you a more fuller, orbed, and healthier life. But all that's all connected. So, uh, so let's then so yeah, image of God.
1: Yeah, no, you, you touch on a real important thing. I mean, I mentioned the Apple events and part and and a large part of the app, the, the last Apple event was spent talking about apps that help you in meditation. And of course it's all Mm -hmm. Eastern. It has nothing to do with biblical prayer. Mm -hmm. Everything is Eastern. Everything is pagan. And I was just Mm -hmm. amazed at that fact. (laughs) I was amazed at how, um, what is my phone and what does this advertisement I'm watching on the phone, what does that have to do with my spirituality and why do they care and who are they to inform me in terms of what spirituality I should, I should pursue in my life. Well, they definitely are because as you know better than most because you're part of truth exchange you know that eastern spirituality is quite conducive to our world system because it eliminates the binary and it's all about integration and uh, boy we can go on and on there but i have to we got to really stress here we have to we have to stress something very very important that if we don't get this part of it we're not quite Capturing the essence of what's coming, and that is that Mm. this technological zeal, this movement, okay, is about is all about conditioning the human mind and the culture, therefore, to prefer a digital life to a physical life. Mm. If we don't understand that right now, the futurists of what they're talking about is that. The the children of today, children of tomorrow, what they call digital natives, The, 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 the digital natives that are being born today and tomorrow, according to some futurists, will not even know what it means to be human apart from technology. And that if you are not in some significant way augmented and implanted with technology in the near future, they will not even be able to relate to you. Um, and, and, and that's the kind of future that's coming. Now, there's there's debate within the futurist community. Well, what does that exactly look like? And how soon is, is that going to be a reality? And they debate mm-hmm. back and forth the timeline, 10 years, 20 years, whatever. But no one debates the reality of it, that this is exactly what's happening, is that there is coming a generation of digital natives that will not even comprehend their anthropology without implantable technology and even neural technology. People have heard of the Neuralink because of Elon Musk and things like that, where they want to put literally a chip in your brain connected to the internet and things like that. And then you start getting visions of left behind and things like that. But but it really is, those really are the conversations. And, And maybe a resource, Joshua, that I would point people to uh, would be, a, a, a classic that a classic book that was written by Ray Kurzweil, uh, and it's called the age of spiritual machines. Uh, Ray Kurz, Ray Kurzweil has two chapters in there and he makes the predictions of what life will look like in 2029 and in 2099. And so that in, t- in 2029, or t- let's say 2030, um, mm-hmm. Neurotechnology is beginning to be rolled out. Implantable technology is ubiquitous, and uh, and this and virtual technology, you know, like the metaverse, is just going to be the air that we breathe. And by 2029, according to Kurzweil, uh, technology and machines will know every piece of literature ever produced, either by machines or by human beings. Uh, machines will know every piece of literature ever, ever made. And that's important, of course, because that's tied into the AI, the, uh, the artificial intelligence uh, technology okay. that will be aimed at different sectors of technology. And, uh, you know, whether it's your own personal device or whether it's government computers or whether it's advertising for the purpose of advertisement and, e- you know, the, the, the economy and things like that, it's really vast. And so by 2029, this is the vision that Ray Kurzweil had. And, um, you know, it's really interesting. But by the end of the century, Ray Kurzweil predicts the kind, the kind, of, um, the kind of future where um, if you are not neurally augmented, which is their nice way of saying you have a computer chip in your head, you will not be able to meaningfully interact with other humans that are. And, mm. and, and there will be a complete two, complete two, uh, two, two categories uh, two, of, of people, two sectors of humanity completely, two classes altogether. Uh, but what's interesting, in our near future, in 2029, what Ray Kurzweil is saying is also that there's going to be a massive push to give machines... Uh, super computer AI driven sh- machines uh, personhood and that they will claim consciousness, autonomous consciousness from mankind. And that by the end of the century, machines will be fully self-conscious and they w- we will have to regard them in some sort of inner species kind of fashion. It's really, really wild. Uh, uh, it- and Ray-, Ray Kurzweil is now the leading engineer at Google. What? Um,
0: and I've wondered, as, as you talk about this with the, the, the rise of machines and receiving conscious inter- uh, artificial in- intelligence, who gets to monitor and say, who gets to become the gatekeepers for information? What's, who's playing by the nice rules and the rules of ethics? Who gets Is that going to be under AI or is that going to be people like Mark Zuckerberg, who we all now know that makes me really nervous if guys like Mark Zuckerberg are the one who calls the shots? I mean, that was the whole Facebook issue was a complete catastrophe. And you just see how they have uh, with their influence on on what is allowed to be communicated. I mean, you can't even look at see an issue or a post about abortion without them blurring it out saying this is offensive material. You can't see some news article or mention COVID, which without some sort of war- uh, warning saying for better resources, go to this website. I mean, the, the, the monitoring that goes on is a bit terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. No, for certain. And I don't
1: know the answer to that question. All I could suspect, of course, is that it's going to be a combination between big tech and the state and economists and things like that at a very high level. Uh, but, but it's interesting because your question, I think, is already something they're grappling with. And so now we're hearing out of the cutting edge futurist community, now you're hearing the language of hive mind, right? That we have to bring all of this technology uh, together so that as a te- to use Ray Kurzweil's language, as the technological singularity takes place, which means we bring man and machine together uh, inextricably so, <clears throat> as that singularity takes place, we also have to therefore come together collectively. And the way that some people are envisioning that is that all of us, once we are neurally, uh, neurologically augmented, we are all also connected to some ultimate hive mind. Uh, that connects us, that connects us all. So it's very wild. It's very, you know, um, again, in the futurist community, some people are scoffing at some of these ideas, um, that they're really sort of idealistic, and they're not going to happen the way that people are saying or people are envisioning. But it is interesting to just to see the ambitions of what they have, the things that they're claiming. And certainly, if you look at the metaverse, as a sample piece, uh, what they, what they're able to already accomplish. (laughs) I mean, I was watching a basketball game last night and on the floor, of course, is all advertisements, uh, in the NBA, all advertisements for the metaverse. Mm. And so they're just conditioning culture again to prefer and to see yourself as old, old, you know, virtual reality is, sort of the elite class it's it's the cutting edge it's what you want to be if you want to be in it's what you want to be involved connected with if you want to be uh sort of cutting edge in the culture and and if if you want to be young and if you want to be popular and you want to be like lebron james uh you know you 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 need to be connected to virtual reality it's really it's really wild i know we were supposed to get to the image of god but we can probably do so now but anything on that that you want to follow up on no, I
0: yeah, no, I know I, we do need to get back to the image of God, it, but it, it, it strikes me, and you said this about the metaverse is that, that it hates reality. It hates creation, which is, a, as you know, is a type of Gnosticism to reject what God made. And then at the same time, I'm hearing you talk, and, and I'm thinking about the story of Babel, is that we are going to ascend higher than God. We are going to create our own realities. And I just I just think about the church and the church needs to to be very careful in how it 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 stewards it's the people of God who are playing with with this um, and I'm just not seeing I'm not seeing right now any good Christian stewardship for that kind of technology to go that direction uh, I I, I can't anyways and I'm not trying to, to to be like fearful or a fearmonger and and hate technology but I'm just not, I'm, I'm lacking the imagination to see how this would be a, a good thing. Yeah, um,
1: Yeah, and I, I think too, Joshua, I think that the sense of fear that you have is good. And there's a temptation right now, at because we're we're quite at a crossroads, I think we're quite at a tipping point. And I think one of the temptations is um, <clears throat> that we are being pressured not to sound alarmist, mm. not to be mm. afraid not to be afraid of this, uh, not to be, uh, not to, you know, we, we, we we've stigmatized ourselves with left behind movies and things like that, where we think anything like this fits the narrative of a Tim LaHaye novel or something like that, where we're not allowed to talk about these kind of things. But I think that's fundamentally wrongheaded. I think we need to be alarmists. I think we need to be careful. I think we need to understand what's being preferred to the culture and to the church and especially to the youth, and getting to the image of God issues, this is why I've been telling, uh, anytime I get to meet with leaders like Dr. Jones, when I filmed with him and with others, <clears throat> I've, I'm, I'm insisting that they, they understand the issue of apologetics different now. And, and the way that I would put it, Joshua, is like this. The future of apologetics is eschatology. Mm. And if we do not wrap our brain around that, that what is happening in this world system and what's getting ready to emerge, I believe the metaverse being a significant part of that is that man is being offered an alternative view of self-advancement, personal advancement, transcendence, ultimate meaning, spirituality, of course, Uh, but um, but it is an eschatological view, and what it has done is that it has rendered mankind in the biblical sense sub-eschatological, so that you no longer see your connection to the transcend, the truly transcendent, which is God, that you don't see yourself as comprised of a soul, you have no soul, that you don't see yourself actually in accountability to God, that you there is no actual afterlife. All there is, is this life and the the onest reality that we're creating. That's the way they're thinking. Mm -hmm. And that the the idea of human flourishing and human advancement is going to be achieved in these transhumanist ways. And that's why some transhumanists, Joshua, have no problem crossing over into post-humanism, where they believe through technology, not only will we augment our humanity, But we will fundamentally change the very constitution of humanity such that we can achieve humanity 2.0. Now, we know that will never happen. We know that God will never allow that to happen. And the image of God will never be annihilated out of existence or fast forward a thousand years. The image of God is something God created and it will never end. And so we know that this is a fading dream of transhumanist folks that have um, they've, they've believed the lie instead of the truth. And so they have adopted a certain vision, but what I, I agree, I agree with uh, Dr. Jones in his book, when he talks about what's happening in the area of oneism, and that what's being offered by a lot of these sort of new age people is a comprehensive cosmology altogether, that mm-hmm. they want a whole new world And isn't that eschatology? Eschatology tells us about a new heavens and a new earth, a whole new world. And when you look at the metaverse, even the promotional that Zuckerberg did, many of the themes and the idea were Edenic. It was paradisical. It was new heavens, new earth motifs. And this is what I mean by our culture is going to be conditioned with a new eschatology, a pseudo-eschatology, mm-hmm. and it will be intoxicating to the cult. It will be so intoxicating of what constitute tr- what constitutes true human flourishing and true human advancement. Well, we know because of scripture, first Corinthians chapter 15, verses 42 to 49. We know that the image of God via the Holy Spirit and the resurrection is the way that man advances. It is the way that man is truly going to flourish. It's by the constitutional change of the spirit and the image of God being conformed into the image of Jesus. And that that is true human flourishing, not technology, not giving ourselves superhuman strength, with nanotechnology and mapping out the human brain and putting technology in our brains and, and, and achieving a pseudo sense of omniscience if we ever get to that point where we have direct access to the internet in our brains as they want us to have. Uh, and so this is why I say that the future of apologetics is absolutely eschatological. 25 years from today, I promise you, cutting edge eschat- uh, cutting-edge apologetics is not going to be talking about textual criticism, right? Yeah,
0: right. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And and so what I've been doing is kind of reading feverishly. I'm so thankful for Peter Jones. The last time I was with Peter, I told Peter, I said, Peter, you know, I think with the transhumanist angle, it really is the perfect complement to the work that he has done. And what he has done, particularly in, in, in directing us towards um, Carl Jung as a primary thinker and somebody that was, in a sense, for that community of this pseudo spirituality of oneism, is really sort of a fa- fontal prophet for them. And that's why we see the Jordan Petersons of the world and others, Ken Wilbur, Thomas Berry, all these people, they're all Jungian. They're all pulling, they're all pulling from young and young himself, of course, was pulling from alchemy. And, and so it all ties together. And I think that that's why, you know, I'm very grateful that God direct me, directed me towards Peter Jones because he connected some very important dots for me. Um, But I think also on the other hand, that we need to take all of that and we do need to make the connection to what's happening today through technology
0: closing thought as you were talking about the importance of eschatology and apologetics. I think that's, that is that is incredibly profound, and uh, the insight there I think is going to be very helpful. I was just thinking eschatology as you were talking about man resting from his work, and that is part of the final, the new heavens and a new earth, is to enter in fully into that rest which God has done. Now in the metaverse, when people get connected with these machines, they're resting, and they're walking into this new heavens and new earth, this fantasy, and they check out from what God really calls people to do, and I think that in itself is, is a warning of, of, of over-eschanalyzing es, uh, 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 the, the, the realm that we exist in today, that that the work is not done, the great commission is not done, the stewardship of the earth is not done, and Christians should not be checking out, but checking in. And so, absolutely right. Yeah,
1: yeah. we have we have to engage these issues. And um, when I when I really started studying this for the very first time, I looked all over for Christian resources on these kind of issues. Exact like particularly with these issues of transhumanism. And, of course, being reformed, I wanted something reformed and solid and good. And, uh, you know, there was almost nothing. There's uh, nothing. I, there's nothing. And, and I, so maybe, maybe I can uh, maybe I can suggest one book by Jacob Schotzer. I found it on the Westminster Seminary uh, bookstore website. Uh, Jacob Schotzer has written a book called Transhumanism in the Image of God. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's a very good book. It's a, it be, it's a very good introduction so that people start wrapping their brains around at least what is being claimed and what they're claiming they're going to do and things like that. And, and, and Dr. Schatzer has definitely done his research. Um, I, I don't know that the book goes far enough in, yeah. in, in what we're talking about in terms of eschatology and the image of God, but, but it, it's, it's very, very good. But books like that, um, that,
0: uh, that need to be written. Uh, There is a massive hole in that area. James Herrick is another. I don't know if you're familiar with James Herrick. He he has been one of our uh, speakers. He's a senior fellow with Truth Exchange on the work of transhumanism. And he has spoken on this at least three times at our think tanks. I could send you some of that information. But he's the the only other person that I know of that has really uh, tackled this issue from a reform perspective and dealing with anthropology and stewardship of creation and realizing the, the Gnostic spirituality that's deeply interwoven within that movement. So absolutely. Yes. Emilio, thank you for coming on the podcast today. Again, uh, this upcoming symposium will be online. I'll also put some in the show notes links to red grace media and the youtube channel go check it out thanks brother for being on the program oh you're welcome and thank you for having me brother god bless you god bless